Heavenly Father, we praise You and we thank You, Lord, for Your good and perfect Word. We thank You, Lord, for Your promises. We thank You for Your presence. We thank You, Lord, for being with us. God, even when we struggle, Lord, You are there. God, I pray for Your Spirit to be upon us that as we go into Your Word, Lord, that You will search us and work on us, Lord. Reveal to us the things, God, that need to be removed from our presence, removed from who we see ourselves. And God, let us put on you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And we thank you. Amen. I can tell you that in times where I have been counseling people and tried to help families, that one of the most painful struggles to see is the squabbling between family members. And not just the squabbling, but how the squabbling seems to take on a life of its own. And where you might be sitting on the outside looking in saying, oh, but if you just, this feels so small to me. If you just forgive one another and move on, there's so much blessing to be seen that God can do in this. And then they don't do that. And the squabbling continues. The pain continues. We're going to be looking at such squabbling tonight as as we continue through the book of Genesis. And today we look at Rachel and Leah and their struggles with, with one another. And if you would please go ahead and turn with me to Genesis 29 verse 31. And yes, I will be reading for you the entirety of this chapter through 30. And I I would ask that you would please remember this is the word of God. So Genesis 29 verses 31. And I'm sorry, I misspoke uh, through verse 24. Hmm? Chapter 29 verse 31. Oh, I meant to say 29. Oh, good grief. Forgive me. Chapter 29, verse 31, through chapter 30, verse 24. Thank you. It's transposing it in my mind, I suppose. All right. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. Again, she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me because I have bore him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. When Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children, she envied her sister. She said to Jacob, give me children or I shall die. 
Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, am I in the place of God? Who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Then she said, here is my servant Bilhah. Go into her so that she may give birth on my behalf, that even I may have children through her. So she gave him her servant Bilhah as a wife, and Jacob went into her. And Bilhah conceived and bore Jacob a son. Then Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and given me a son. Therefore she called him Dan. Rachel's servant Bilhah conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And then Rachel said, with mighty wrestling, I have wrestled with my sister and have prevailed. So she called his name Naphtali. When Leah saw that she had ceased bearing children, she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. Then Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a son. And Leah said, good fortune has come. So she called his name Gad. Leah's servant Zilpah bore Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I, for women have called me happy. So she called his name Asher. In the days of wheat harvest, Reuben went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. And then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. And when Jacob came from the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come into me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah. And she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again, and she bore Jacob a sixth son. And Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. And afterwards she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel. And God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. Have you ever felt abandoned, in need, and wondered whether God actually cared? Have you ever needed something or thought you needed something so desperately that you thought God will for sure provide what it is I am coming to him in prayer for? And yet, God's choice for an answer is wait, or let me prepare you for it, or it may be no. What is your response when that is the answer God gives? Do you struggle with doubt? Did you simply go to something other than God to get what you were looking for? What what is the right response? We know that God loves to give good gifts to those who belong to Him. 
He doesn't withhold good things for no reason. He is a generous God who, lists, who yes, delights in blessing his people. But what is often overlooked in Scripture is the simple truth that although God loves to bless his people, that is not the end goal. Many times throughout the Scripture, God has blessed people that did not turn and worship as a result. Isaiah 65 verse 2 says this, it says, I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. It actually goes very well with what Russ was sharing with us just a little bit ago as we were talking about God's faithfulness. He held out his hand in blessing to a people that constantly rebelled against him. You see, the reason God loves to bless his people with good things is because he loves his people. And it's also his hope to see them in turn also glorify him with those blessings. And as intuitive as that sounds, this love, it's, it's yes, it's conventional, but it also has an end goal. Not of giving them good things apart from himself, but by giving good things to teach them to rely on him in faith. God's blessing and provisions prove his love and teach us to lean on him in complete trust for all good things which come from him. So what about when God doesn't seem to be answering our prayers? Has his love stopped? Where is this proof I'm supposed to have that should convince me that I need to be relying on him? The truth is, his blessings remain. His blessings are still right there before you. Because of God's blessings, yes, we, have, we may have life, food, clothing, shelter, and every good thing that we experience in creation. The sun should not be taken for granted simply because it comes up every day without discrimination, nor should air be discounted because we've never had a shortage of it. God's blessings fill our lives and are around us. And often when we think the things we desire will make us happy, God seeks to point us towards gratitude for what he has already given us so that we will trust in him rather than the next blessing we think we need. In our text that I read, we look at two women that both wanted something that the other had. Rachel, she wanted to bear children, but she remained barren for a time. Leah wanted the love of her husband. But despite her attempts at pleasing him with her children, that love did not come. And the answer to their problems was not necessarily in receiving what they so desperately and painfully desired. But it's in the simple words Leah spoke at the birth of her son Judah. Remember, this is what she said. She said, this time I will praise the Lord. And what we see in this is that only in gratitude... In thanksgiving, yes, in the good and in the bad. In the providential hand of God will we find what we truly need when we seek these other things. Because only then will we rest in faith like God means us to. To rest on what God provides. What we see in the text is immediately it lets us know how really messed up Jacob's marriages are. As well as how caring God's character is in spite of how Jacob is messing things up. 
The same God who had compassion just earlier in Genesis saw Hagar abandoned in the wilderness and was called the God who sees. And in this case, we see that he sees the unloved Leah, whom the author says is hated. And that's not to say Jacob was abusive to her, but he was neglecting his wife. He was neglecting his husbandly duty to love his wife. And God counts even this lack of love as hatred in the way the text portrays it. And it's the same in the church when we fail to love our brothers and sisters in Christ. How do you think God sees such actions towards one another? I tell you, he does not see himself in those types of actions. So it might as well be hate. But God shows love and compassion on Leah. And he blesses her rather than her sister. And Leah has children. And she has, there are four children. And she names them in a way that we can see even a progress in her attitude towards God's blessings. We actually see a spiritual growth in Leah's walk. The first three children have one main similarity in the way that they're named. They betrayed Leah's desperate attempts to please Jacob and experienced the love that really every wife should desire from her husband. But she is still not getting it. We read in chapter 29, she's not as beautiful as her sister Rachel. She's not as attractive to Jacob. And Jacob is an infant in many ways in his faith. So he's not following what God has created him to be as a husband. And even though, yes, he is sleeping with her, it's a loveless sex that doesn't show any real affection for his wife. So Leah's hope is that by bearing a child, that maybe if by having children, it's going to change the way her husband sees him. Her first son is named Reuben, which means, behold, a son. A good name for a firstborn boy. And she recognizes God as being the one who has blessed her with this son. In this way, Shari shows more faith than her husband has. And then says, maybe God, will, maybe God will love her since she has provided him with this firstborn son. The one who would normally inherit a double portion and be the pride of the father. Then she has the second son. And we get an idea that Reuben really hasn't made many things change for Leah in Jacob's eyes. And again, she praises God for the birth, perceiving that God has seen she's been denied love from her husband. And Simeon is born and then she conceives again, and she is still not loved. And she says, finally, finally, there's no way my husband can't love me now. I've given him three sons. In that culture, she would be seen as a truly blessed and rich woman. God must be with Leah to have already given born to three sons. And this is only in a few years This is a sad situation we're seeing here with Leah. She shouldn't have to prove how useful she is to be loved by him. Jacob is blind to how unlovable he is because of his own sins and faithfulness, faithlessness. Yet God still loves him. 
But God is also teaching Leah something. You know, living in a sinful world, we're often going to be hard done by and, and, and not getting what we believe might be rightfully ours. You know, for a while we might try to get what we think should be ours or what we feel should be ours, and God may or may not give it to us. Here we see God provided three boys so far, and yet still Leah hasn't received what she was hoping for. Her husband still doesn't love her. Something changed in the time Judah was born. Then Judah's born in the fourth boy that signifies God's compassion and provision for someone suffering from neglect. And this time, this is what's different about this time. This time, Leah doesn't put her hope in her husband's love. She doesn't cling to what may be, what God has not given her as of yet. And so this is what she says. She says, this time I will praise the Lord. She mentioned God in the other instances, but this is the first time where we don't hear her say, the Lord has blessed me, now my husband will love me. Perhaps I've convinced my husband to be with me. No, that's not what she said. She simply says, this time I will praise the Lord. It's not by chance that Judah is the one who will become the ancestor of King David and of Jesus Christ. She isn't worshiping God for what she wants. She's worshiping God for what he's already given her. And she has learned gratefulness. And that is a sign that she is growing up, that she is becoming more mature in her relationship with God. Hoping for something good for yourself is not necessarily a bad thing. Seeking a better situation is not evil. It's a natural part of living in this world. But we don't have control over any of that. There are times we're going to see what others have been blessed with and we feel like that's where I should be. Or maybe not. Maybe we want children but can't have any. Maybe you feel stuck in your current occupation and, or can't even find employment at, at all. And as we grow in life, we pray for, for God's help in these things as we should come to God and ask for help. But His answer may be not at all. And that can be hard to take, especially if we've had our hopes dashed again and again. And this is what's happened to Leah. Her hopes have been dashed. And after Judah, it appears her husband stops sleeping with her at all until she buys, buys time with him for her son's mandrakes. His interest in her has not gotten better. It's gotten worse, and then despite this lack of love that she should have, she learned to say, similar to Job, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now naturally, these children did not escape Rachel's notice. Like her husband, Rachel, at this point, lacks faith. Her relationship is not strong and also lacks the gratitude that Leah has actually learned through her struggle. And Rachel, instead of being grateful for having the love of her husband, remember, both sisters wanted something the other one had. Instead, she is jealous of the unloved wife. And instead of coming to God in prayer... 
She goes to her husband, whose response is actually appropriate. He has no ability to give her children if God has closed her womb. And he gets upset at her for demanding this of, of her. Her answer is one that's old, that, that is old as time in the family of Abraham. Like Sarah before her, she gives Jacob, her servant Bilhah, as a wife. However, unlike Sarah, she isn't looking for a promised child. She's looking for ammunition in her war against her sister. It's a wicked motivation to want to have a child to simply spite someone else. And it's a sinful solution. But Jacob does go along with it. He marries Bilhah, and she becomes a surrogate mother for Rachel. And Naphtali is born. Now, look at Rachel's words. In the text, it said, I have wrestled with my sister and prevailed. What a horrible attitude. No, thank you, Lord, for this child. Oh, look how beautiful this baby is. It's, ha ha, I've beaten my sister. It's a boy. Her attitude is awful. She has no compassion for her sister's feelings of neglect and sees her servant's child as a one-up on her sister. And it's a clue that Rachel has a lot of growing up to do. So this even then begins a war between surrogate mothers. Bruce Waltke summarizes what's happening between these two sisters' attitudes this way. He says, Each woman wants what the other has, and neither treasures what she has been given for its own value. And in all these circumstances, in spite of all this, yes, God is still sovereign. We see that he even uses these faithless actions to build the people of Israel. And we've seen throughout the whole book of Genesis, God uses flawed and sinful people, yes, to even accomplish his will, while at the same time working on them through the long and often painful process of sanctification, of becoming more holy. That being said, God has not stopped using flawed people for his glory even today. In our weakness, God is shown as the one of strength that we rely upon. In our sin, God is shown as holy, and God's strength is shown by taking the sinful and making them holy through his work, through his sanctifying work on us. Next, we have this episode with mandrakes. And here's the irony in regarding this story. And it's it's centered on the, the deficiency that both women have in their struggles. Rachel cannot have children. Leah cannot have the love of her husband. One that seems very strange about this event is that Rachel appears to have the household right to say who gets to sleep with Jacob and who doesn't. As if the house wasn't messed up enough. And Rachel's essentially selling her husband's sexuality for a plant that she believes will help get her pregnant. She gets what she wants. She gets the mandrakes, and Leah gets what she wants, a night with her husband. But at the same time, neither gets what they want. Leah gets pregnant, not Rachel. Rachel remains the loved one, not Leah. These are gifts that God has given. And despite their efforts, they have not received what they wanted. An interesting phrase in verse 
in chapter 29, verse 31, says, God listened to Leah. God saw Leah. And finally, in 30, verse 22, God remembered Rachel. This language is not used when, with like, when the concubines get pregnant in other portions of the Old Testament. And that is because their pregnancy is the result of human desire. However, they were attempts motivated by human will. And it symbolizes, yes, even the, the human desire to, uh, that as opposed to relying on God's strength for these things. It went against God's decreed will to give these women as concubines to Jacob. However, when it comes to Leah and Rachel, when childbirth happens, it is purely the result of God allowing it. So after the Mandrake incident, God gives Leah another son named Issachar, then Zebulun, and finally the daughter named Dinah. Then after all of Rachel's trying, her demands, her anger, and her attempts to get children her own way. God remembers her. He has compassion on her. Because despite the son she had obtained through her servant, she didn't have one herself. In this ancient world, unfortunately, a wife was often valued mainly by her ability to have children. But God remembers her and gives her what she's been praying for finally. But what is her response? How does she respond to having a child? It was far cry from what Leah's worshipful declaration at the birth of Judah. She's already immediately thinking about having another son. She does acknowledge that it is God that has taken away her reproach. But right away she says, may the Lord give me another son. Thanks God, I'll have another. And now again, there's nothing necessarily wrong with wanting another son, but if we look at her character throughout this chapter, it's consistent with what we have seen in terms of a greedy character she has been displaying throughout this text. Greed is never satisfied just because you have attained the thing you desire. It also doesn't have to be for something that is wrong or even unnecessary. Having children is a good thing to desire. Psalms 127 verse 3 says that children are a gift from the Lord and that the man who has many is very blessed. But rather than being a prerogative for families to have many children as possible, it gives the biblical position that children are a blessing and that they are a gift, they are a gift from the Lord. And the Lord gives them, or he chooses not to. Throughout the book of Genesis, the womb has consistently been the realm that is completely under God's control. As Jacob points out, God chooses to give or withhold the fruits of the womb. And despite the plans or the abilities of human beings, this does not change. Even in our day of advanced technologies and the confusion we even see between sex and gender in our world, no matter how much a man wants to be a woman, they cannot have children because God has not designed them to. Of all the great things we have accomplished as human beings that God has allowed us, there are certain forces that, yes, will always remain out of our control no matter how hard we try. Reminding us that all things, even the things we think we can control, are in God's hands. 
The skills of a heart surgeon may seem to decide between life and death, and yet we cannot even change whether for a moment of time or keep someone from meeting death indefinitely. The story of humanity and our sin is the story of war between the struggle for control and power and submitting to God in faith and gratitude. And this is the struggle we see with Rachel and Leah. Romans 2.4 says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? You see this, this struggle of submitting to God in faith and gratitude. In Scripture, justice is recognizing that God has all the power. And we are in the position to only submit to him, obey him, and worship him, and follow him. And God, in giving giving His undeserved grace, shows love by often giving us gifts that we don't deserve. And so we should not be afraid to humbly, yes, ask for His blessing, but be careful to avoid the sense of entitlement that we see from Rachel here. God's love and the blessings He gives to both believers and unbelievers are meant to bring us to the foot of the throne of the cross. His blessings are much are meant to bring us to him. So back to our original question. What about when we don't receive what we ask for? Even what we ask for is lawful, or what we ask for is actually genuinely good. God may not give it to us now, or in this lifetime even. Many Christians who have desired children, many whom I know and would be amazing mothers, have not been able to have them. Many people who are single want a spouse or a job they actually enjoy but cannot find. Around the world there are Christians who desire freedom and remain in prison or even in forms of slavery for their faith. There are those that are looking for food because they're hungry or a family after they've been rejected. In all these situations, yes, even in these hard circumstances, God is still the God who hears. God is still the God who sees. God is still the God who loves. He doesn't close his ears to the cries of the desperate, especially those of his people who put their trust in him. So we can know and trust that when God withholds something we want, or even something we think we need, he does so in his love. And he does so in his perfect plan and timing. Because the best thing for us the thing that will find not only our strongest desires, but satisfy our greatest needs, the pre- is this, it is the presence and the love of our good God. When we are stopped from getting what we don't have for a time, it's an opportunity to praise God what, for what we do have and what we have been given. And we have been given all the blessings of God through Jesus Christ. Even if we don't have the food to eat tomorrow, we still have Christ forever. God loves when we turn to him in thanksgiving because it displays hearts that are full of faith. Hearts that say, you have provided for me. You will provide for me, Lord, in your wisdom. And I am satisfied knowing, loving, and being loved by you, God. You fulfill my every need and want. The blessings of God are meant to show us that all we need is him. And it's in this mindset, it's in this frame 
that we should desire to be filled with thankfulness. A constant mindset of prayer that comes before the, God, before the Lord and sees, yes, my God is good. And sometimes saying, yes, in light of this, my God is still good and mighty. In a world powered by selfishness and greed, when we have all we need, and all we need is in the Lord, then we will find ourselves needing nothing because we are in Christ. Our prayer should be that God would bless us with hearts that turn to Him in praise and thanksgiving because of the great blessings we have already seen in Him and through Him and He has given, especially His Son, Jesus Christ, and salvation through His death and resurrection. With the birth of Judah, Leah proclaimed that now she would praise the Lord. And through Judah would come the Christ, the greatest gift humanity could ever have. And from that, what more can we do but offer praises? God's plan and not our own. God's will and not ours. Trusting that God knows even in the struggle, even when he says no to our prayers, that this is also a form of his love and his provision. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and we praise you. Lord, yes, for all of your truth. God, for the truth that goes down like honey and the truth that goes down more like medicine. God, we are thankful for all of it. And I pray right now, Lord, that you will work in us, Lord, that we will have hearts that are filled with gratitude. God, amazing gratitude that the world that we live in today does not understand. That, God, we can have things that we want unfulfilled and we can still turn and praise you as our Heavenly Father, the one who gives good and perfect gifts. Even your nose to our prayers are a gift from you. Lord, I pray for you to fill us with this grace, Lord, that we will not be distracted by our selfishness or greed like we saw with, with Rachel. And God, that you will help purify our motivation, Lord, that in all that we do, that it will be for you like what we saw in Leah. God, help us in this community to glorify you and to praise you in all things. Lord, in your son's name we pray. Amen. God bless, and y'all have a good night.